You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Continuing to study through the book of Joshua, an exciting study that really speaks to us of living in victory in our Christian walk. And man, the the Israelites had a lot of defeat. They had a lot of time of difficulty and struggle and a lot of situations in the desert where they didn't hear from God and they didn't listen to God and they and they didn't have victory. They had defeat and and yet now as they're entering into the promised land, they are going to really have the opportunity to enter into all that God has for them and the sky is really the limit for them. There there's nothing that is hindering them but themselves. And that's really true of us, too. Uh, we are our greatest enemy. I mean, we have an enemy, the devil, for sure. But we can be, and we are oftentimes, our greatest enemy. And we get in the way of what God wants to do. And if we can get out of the way, and if we can allow God to work in us, man, we can enter into the things that God has, much like the children of Israel needed to enter into the things that God had for them. And we've seen a few of their victories uh, through the first eight chapters of Joshua. We, we saw them have victory in entering the promised land. I mean, that was a big deal. It took them 40 years to do that. And finally, they had the faith. Finally, they had the, the trust in God to, to enter, to cross the Jordan. And, and God miraculously parted the Jordan for them and and, and they weren't to forget that. They were to set up memorial stones to remember that. And, and then the victory in Jericho. And, and you remember they marched around the city for seven days. And I mean, that was no small victory what God did there. That was an amazing thing. And then the victory in Ai that kind of came in a roundabout way. First, it, it, they were defeated and they, they had loss. And, and they made a mistake and they... They really launched out in the flesh and, and then God brought it around and he brought it to a place of victory for them. And now, as we enter into chapter 9, we're going to see them once again kind of have some defeat. But ultimately, God will use it and it will become a blessing. And really what this chapter is all about is it's about warfare, it's about deception. And I don't know about you, but... Often I sense that I'm in a, a war, that I'm, being def- that I'm being just bombarded by the enemy in, in any number of different ways, whether it be through temptation, whether it be through physical ailments, whether it be just in little things, you know, just little irritants that kind of add up. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that that, that happens to. You know, just the little stuff that, the big stuff, you know, I tend to handle that okay. What, you know, I've had some big things happen to me and, and, and you kind of work through that. But it's the little things that I tend to struggle with. You know, the, the tone of my wife's voice or the kids crying in the car or something not going right, you know, in the day-to-day functioning of the church or 
you know, just somebody saying something smart, you know, or whatever, just little, or telemarketers or, you know, people screwing up your order, you know, for the 14th time at a restaurant and then being rude about it, you know, that kind of thing. That's the kind of stuff that just kind of throws me into the flesh. And, and, and that's what we see here is in this time of defeat, there's a great time of warfare. Or in this time of victory, I should say, there's a great warfare. And man, the more that you have victory in your life, the more that you're going to sense the, the enemy coming against you. As they have victory now and they're starting to, to really enter into what God has, we, we see in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, it says, It came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, when they heard about it, when they heard about the victories that the Israelites were having, they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord, to fight against them. All these nations who really didn't get along that well, who were often fighting each other, who were often in odds against one another, are now in unity against the Israelites because they recognize that, hey, this is a, a real problem here. They, they took out Jericho, they took out Ai, and we're next. And so they're, they're coming against Joshua and the Israelites with one accord. I mean, just full on, they're just attacking the Israelites. And with victory comes more attack. And maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a while and, and you've had some victory and, and, and you're doing well. And, and maybe you've, you've overcome an addiction or maybe you've, you've had a, a rocky marriage turn into a successful marriage. Or, or maybe you were a person that was not honest and you were not a person of integrity and yet now you're living in, in integrity or or whatever, you, you found victory, and yet now you're sensing that you're being bombarded in other areas. And it seems like it's a full attack. Just from all fronts, you're being hit. And that is, in a spiritual sense, really a good sign. It means you're in the right place. If you don't sense that you're being attacked, it's probably because you're losing. Because you're already defeated. I mean, if you're not being attacked, it means that you've already given in and the enemy has just sort of infiltrated your life and the flesh is ruling your life and, and you're not going to sense that you're being attacked because, I mean, there's, it's really not an attack. It's just uh, they've moved in, they've taken over. But spiritual warfare, you guys, and you don't have to be a, a scholar of the Bible to know it is the constant companion of the Christian. Have you ever found it interesting that the Bible tells us in, in, in Chronicles that, that God is searching, He's seeking out someone in whom He can find faithful to pour out His Spirit upon them and to use them. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro, the Bible tells us. But do you also know the Bible tells us that the enemy, the devil, 
is doing the same thing, looking for whom he can devour. And so, know that you are, and I am, under attack. We are being attacked on a daily basis. And that's what we see here in verses 1 and 2. With victory comes more attack. And sometimes the attacks of the enemy are real obvious. It's like you don't have to be a genius to see it. I mean, it's just right there. It's like tanks and planes and bombs are going off and and it's super obvious. But other times it's subtle and it's deceptive. And that's what we see here in verses 3 through 15 is a real subtle and deceptive attack. Let's read it together. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. See, these other kings, these other nations, they just came in full attack against the Israelites. But the Gibeonites, they were going to go about it differently. They worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore, make a covenant with us. Now, you know from our studies in the Old Testament that when they entered the promised land, they were not to make covenants with any of these nations. They were to wipe them out, to annihilate them. They weren't to be buddies with them. They weren't to go into partnership with them. They were to attack them and to annihilate them. And they were to take over the land of Canaan. But God didn't tell them to do that to the nations outside of Canaan. And so the Gibeonites were, they were smart. So they made it look like they had traveled a long way and that they had come from a distant land and And that's what they told the Israelites. We've come from a far country. And so the command of God to annihilate wouldn't apply to them. But in reality it did because the Gibeonites were part of the indigenous people that were to be rid from the land. But they they were coming about this in a different way to protect themselves. And they were saying, make a covenant, a treaty with us. And they knew that if they could get the Israelites to make a treaty with them and a vow that they would have to follow it because they were people of their word. And so verse 7 says, Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have came because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of 
Bashan and who was at Ashtaroth. Notice they don't say anything about Jericho and Ai because they, they knew if they mentioned that that they would be found out because the news hadn't traveled about those victories yet. So they only mentioned things that were done in the wilderness, things that were common knowledge. These were some smart people. These were people that had thought this out. And we need to know that our enemy, the devil, is very crafty. He's very smart. Highly intelligent. And he knows how to tempt you. He knows how to defeat you. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. The Bible says that his MO is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And it's kind of like these people that the justice system says they, they cannot be treated. They, they, there's no way that these people can be assimilated back into society. There's, there's just no hope for them, right? And they're going to go and do it again. And that, that's the enemy. He, he's not going to stop trying to kill you, to steal from you, to destroy you. He may give up in a particular area as you defeat him in that particular area, as you stand strong, but he'll continue to come from another area. And, and he's crafty. And that's, that's what's being sort of symbolized here. So Joshua says, who are you? Where, where are you from? And they said, hey, we're from a far country. We've heard of, we've heard of God. We've heard of what has happened in the, the wilderness, and we want to serve God. We want to join with you. Therefore, verse 11, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot, for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. So man, they're really laying it on now. This was fresh bread and look at it. It's all dried up and moldy. That's how far we've come. These wineskins which we filled were new and see they are torn. And these garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. And so they're deceiving them. They, they thought this through. They knew how to deceive the Israelites. And the enemy, he's thought long and hard about how to deceive you. And he knows your tendencies. He knows my, my weaknesses. He knows how to get into the areas of our life that are unguarded. And when we give the devil a, a foothold, he'll take a stronghold in our life and it does not take long at all. And that, that's what's happening here. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. And so basically what was happening here 
is that the Israelites and Joshua as their leader were purely looking at this by sight and by common sense and, and not at all by faith and, and not at all in, in what God would be speaking to them. It made sense, right? The bread was old, the wineskins were torn and tattered, their clothes were dirty, their, their shoes were worn out. I mean, come on, they didn't just walk down the street. This makes sense. And sometimes the things that make complete sense to you and, and seem to be logical and seem to be right is an absolute deception. And, and the problem that, that they had is found in verse 14. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. That is the key phrase. They didn't ask, ask counsel of God. That's why they were deceived. If they had simply sought the Lord and asked for wisdom and gave it some time, they wouldn't have been deceived. The problem was they got into a hurry. The problem was they didn't seek counsel from the Lord. The problem was they trusted in their own common sense rather than in, in what God would have spoken to their heart. And that's what happens to us. We get into a hurry. We become impetuous. We think this makes sense. It's logical. And, and we launch out without seeking the Lord. Well, man, I prayed about it and, and I asked God, but He didn't answer me right away. And so I figured I had to take care of things. Look, it might take some time. And one thing you'll learn about the Lord as you walk with Him is He's not in a hurry. And if, if something is, is rushed, if it requires you to, to be hurried, you can almost guarantee that it's not of the Lord. God's never in a hurry. God never says, you've got to buy that car tonight, otherwise it's, you know, somebody else is coming or... The price is going up or, you know, it's the end of the month and we're running a deal, you know. God's never in a hurry. God's never telling you to rush, rush, rush. Hey, it won't hurt you at all to wait. And if they had waited, they would have seen that th this wasn't true. That they would have been able to figure things out. But they were in a hurry and they went with what was logical and what made sense to them. And, they, and they, they launched out in their own reasoning and in their own logic. And that was a problem. They didn't seek the Lord. And man, you guys, when we're not seeking the Lord, when we're not hearing from God, who knows what and where we'll end up. I mean... We can get so far off when we're not seeking the Lord. When we're not in the Word, we're not hearing from God. When we're not getting our direction from Him. I mean, you think about your kids. If, if you just left your kids on their own and they didn't ever seek out your counsel and your advice. They didn't hear from you. 
You know, I think about my kids, three years old and five years old. If I didn't tell them what to do and Andrea wasn't there to direct them on a daily basis, I mean, it wouldn't take long at all for the house to be on fire, you know, for them to starve to death, for them to be running up and down the highway, living in just, you know, poopy, pee-filled underwear or whatever, right? I mean, they, they wouldn't be clean. They, they, wouldn't, it, they would die in no time at all. And because they're dependent upon us as parents. And of course, that illustration breaks down. As kids get older, they're not so dependent. But we never grow outside of our dependence of God. We, we are His kids. We're like little kids. And we have to hear from Him. We have to be cleaned up by Him. We have to be fed by Him. We have to be driven to school. We have to be picked up. We have to be read to and counseled by the Lord. And if you go a day, a week, a month, a year without that, your life is on fire, you're living in soiled diapers, you're, you're just a mess. You're lost. You're running up and down the road naked. You know, that's, that's what happens. And so we, we have to hear from God. And, and that ought to be the cry of our heart. We, we sang tonight, I'm hungry for you, Lord. That's what that means. I'm hungry to hear from you, to experience you, to be fed by you, to be led. And when we're not, this is what happens. We make stupid decisions. We, we, we get way off track. And if you haven't heard from God in a while, and you need to take some time, you, you need to get before the Lord, and you need to cry out to God, and you need to say, God, I want to hear from you. I'm hearing from a lot of other people and a lot of other things, but I want to hear from you. I want to hear your voice. I want clear direction on this. I want to hear you speak to me. Sometimes the attacks of the, the devil are real obvious, and other times they're very subtle. And, and this particular attack was very, very subtle. It was, it was a backdoor attack. They, they didn't recognize it at all. But they could have if they had simply sought counsel from God. They were deceived because they weren't hearing from God. And, and maybe you're living in, in, in a time of just being deceived. Maybe you've been deceived into thinking that it, you've got to, to go and, and make it happen. And, and so you're, you're working yourself into the ground and you're, you're not able to, to spend time with your family and you're not able to do ministry or you're not able to spend time with the Lord and do those things or maybe you've been deceived into thinking that you know this, this marriage isn't, isn't right and, and I don't have to put up with this and God's got something else for me and, and so I'm going to 
walk away from this because I deserve better than this or any, any number of, of things. You, you, maybe you've been deceived in, into thinking that it's okay that you know, I'm, I'm not really being honest uh, with my time card or I'm, that I'm stealing from, from work because they, they owe me. Maybe you're being deceived that that, that relationship that, that I'm having with that person, it's really harmless. It's not a big deal at all. I mean, they understand me and they like to talk and, and they, they, they enjoy my company and my, my husband doesn't. My husband doesn't listen to me and my husband doesn't care and it, it, this is harmless. It's not going anywhere. Or, or the flip side can be true as well. Oh, it's, it's harmless. She, she's not attractive to me at all. I, you know, it's just she's fun and, you know, she, she has a good sense of humor. My wife, you know, she's kind of a dud and, you know. And slowly but surely you, you've been deceived into thinking that that's okay. Oh, you know, just, just a little bit. Just, just a little bit of drugs just to take the edge off. Or, you know, I, I only get drunk once a week. Or, you know, I, I only look at that stuff once in a while. Or, hey, we can be deceived so easily and so quickly as as we see here and this deception really turned in into a blessing as we're going to see but it it also became something that would would kind of carry on forever the, the repercussions were there and, and they would have to deal with these people forever because of, of this deception, because they made a, a treaty with them. It says it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. And so for three days it was cool. For three days everything seemed great. And there is a season where sin is really fun. And there's a season where you don't know that you're deceived. There's a season where you don't recognize the deception. It's just like the, the other day, it was like a couple weeks ago, I got a text message that said, um, there's a problem with your account, you know, please... Um, call this, and it said, uh, Bank of the Cascades, and, you know, please call this number, and, and we'll reinstate your debit card. So, I mean, it didn't even occur to me that this was a problem, because how are they going to have my cell phone number? They're going to text me, and they're going to know that I'm from Bank of the Cascades. I mean, so I called the number, and, man, it was super professional, took me through all this automated stuff, and it said, okay, you're your debit card has been reinstated. It works fine now. Okay. 
well, it was some scam, and they stole 800 bucks, and of course, you know, I'm covered, but the bank wasn't. Um, And it was, fortunately, didn't give them any other information besides my debit card info, and so they just canceled that, and it really wasn't a huge deal for us, but for about 24 hours, I didn't think anything of it. It seemed super legit to me, but little did I know I was being deceived. As I'm going through the steps, pushing the numbers, and I mean, it would even say, you made a mistake, you've got to go back and do it over again. I mean, it seemed super professional. And they were just taking a shot in the dark, and they they sent out all these text messages to T-Mobile customers, and they just guessed, you know, Bank of the Cascades, and and all the T-Mobile customers that were Bank of the Cascades people fell for it. Over a thousand people fell for it. it. Seemed legit. Of course, there was Wells Fargo and U.S. Bank and other people that were like, "What is this? I don't have Bank of the Cascades." They weren't deceived. And and the enemy's lies and the enemy's deception and it doesn't work on everybody because we're all different. We're wired differently. And so what deceives you and what tempts you and what throws you off track may not me. And vice versa. But there is that season where you don't really recognize you're being deceived, but you are. And then all of a sudden it hits you like it did me when I got a call from Andrea that said, Hey, um, did you know you fell for a scam? Then you feel like an idiot, you know. And there's that, that moment where all of a sudden you, you, you realize, and maybe it's a day, maybe it's a year, maybe it's decades. But you have this epiphany, oh my gosh, I've ruined my life. I, I've ruined my marriage. I, I've destroyed my relationship with my kids or Oh man, I, I've driven my job into the ground. I've, I've, you know, I, I've ruined relationships. I've, I've hurt my reputation. I've hurt my ministry. Whatever, you, you just realize, man, what a fool I've been. I've been deceived, and that's what we see here. After three days, they heard that these weren't people from afar off nation, they were Hivites. They were Gibeonites. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shepherah, Beeroth, and Kirjath, Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the God By the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. They had made a commitment to them. They vowed to them. They signed a treaty, a covenant with them that they wouldn't harm them. And they couldn't go back on that now. Now all the... People were complaining against the leaders saying, what have you done? You guys were deceived. But they knew that 
even though they were deceived, they still had to honor their word. And sometimes when you enter in to a, a situation that is wrong, when you, when you go down a road you shouldn't have, when you're deceived and you enter into sin, there are repercussions for that and you have to pay the consequences and you have to, to do what is necessary. If, if, if you have a child before you're married, you don't just get to abandon that child. You have to take care of that child. And maybe you're, you, you're not being provided for. Maybe the, the dad takes off. and you know, but you, So the, the woman has to, to deal with that. Doesn't mean she gets to just shirk her responsibility. Well, I, I sinned and I was deceived and it was wrong. So, no, I mean, there's a baby here you have to take care of. Maybe you enter into a marriage that, that wasn't right. Maybe you knew you shouldn't have married that person. They weren't a believer. Well, it doesn't mean you divorce them now. You have to deal with the consequences. Maybe God told you, you know, don't, don't invest in that or, or don't take that promotion or don't move or don't buy that big expensive house. You're not going to be able to pay for it. And, and you did it anyway. And, and now you're having to, to deal with the consequences of it. Doesn't mean you get to just walk out of the house and say, you know what, forget it. Doesn't mean that you can just turn your back on those things. You, you have to deal with the, the repercussions. And that's what we see happening here. And they kept their word, which is a, a good thing. And if you're in a situation where you wish that you had not done something to put you in this set of circumstances and you wish you could just walk away from it, you need to keep your word. You need to do what you committed to do, even though it was wrong even though it was sinful, even though you didn't hear from God and you launched out in your flesh, you still need to, to keep your commitment. You still need to do what you said you were going to do and God is going to bless you for that. This we will do to them, verse 20. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the ruler said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them and he spoke to them saying, Why have you deceived us? Saying, We are very far from you when you dwell near us. Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you, and we've done this thing. And so 
they really did believe in God. They really did believe that this God of the Israelites was powerful and that he was going to destroy them. And they had faith in God. And they were afraid, and that's why they they did that. And now, here we are in your hands, do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So they're like, hey, look, we're, we're your servants. We'll do whatever you want. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. The children of Israel were ready to just slaughter these guys and this nation. But the leaders knew that they couldn't do that. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. And so what sort of originated as stupidity and sin and deception turned out to be a blessing. Because all of a sudden they have this huge workforce of people to do menial tasks and manual labor. And God turned this negative situation into a real blessing because they allowed him to, because they trusted him and they, they, they kept their word. And what I see here in, in closing, you guys, is that Jesus can turn our sin and our stupidity and our deception into a blessing in our life. He can restore, the Bible tells us, the years that the locusts have eaten. He can take what the devil and what man and what your flesh meant for evil and he can turn it for good. Maybe you think, man, I've destroyed my life, I've ruined my life, there's no hope for me, I might as well give up. And Jesus says to you, no, you haven't. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses brings the children of Israel to a place called Marah and they're dying of thirst and they, they need water so desperately and they're crying out for water. And they get to this place and, oh man, there's huge reservoir. This is awesome. Thank you, Lord. And they, they get down on their knees and they lap the water up and, oh man, it's bitter and it's nasty. Lord, what are you doing to us? You bring us out here into this miserable desert. It's hot. We're thirsty. And now you're toying with us with this water that looks good, but it tastes horrible. And God instructed Moses to take a tree and to throw the tree into the water, into these bitter waters, and those waters became sweet. And man, what a picture of the cross. That if we apply the cross in our lives, in our situations, in the things that are going on in our lives, that yes, we're stupid, they were sinful, they, they were the result of deception. But it, He can make those bitter waters sweet. And it says that the people were refreshed and they were blessed. And God can take... The situations in your life that you 
totally screwed up. And he can bring refreshment and blessing out of those. Only Jesus can do that. Everybody else would give up on you. Everybody else would say, look, you're an idiot. I don't trust you. I don't like you. You're, you were deceived or you deceived me. You hurt me. Whatever. And yet Jesus can take those bitter waters and he can make them sweet. He can turn these kinds of situations like we see here into a blessing in your life. Yes, you were deceived. Yes, you sinned. Yes, you blew it. But God wants, as you trust in Him, and as you begin to hear from Him, see, the result. this resulted from them not hearing from God. But now you're hearing from Him, and now you're spending time with Him, and now you're experiencing Him, and you're relating to Him. And now He can take that tree, the cross, and apply it into your life, And turn those situations from bitterness into sweetness. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can turn total chaos and catastrophe and ruin into something of value. Into something that can be a blessing. And you have to allow him to do that. You have to allow Jesus to do that work. See, we can't go back. They couldn't go back and say, you know what? You guys all go home, and tomorrow we're going to come, and we're going to destroy you the way we were supposed to. They couldn't do that. You can't go back and undo the things you've done in your life. You can't take back the things you've said You can't undo that relationship that you shouldn't have had. You can't go back and take the house back to the people you bought it from when you knew you shouldn't have bought it in the first place. Or, you know, you you can't divorce that person that you shouldn't have married. Whatever. You fill in the blank of your own sin and your own deception. You can't go back and do undo those things. But you can allow Jesus to apply his love, his grace, the cross to your life and, and allow him to take things that were completely out of control And use them as a blessing in your life. He can do that. He wants to do that. He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He can make the bitter waters sweet. And so let's let's allow Jesus to do that, you guys. Not only in our lives, but in, in the people around us. Let's remember what Jesus has done for us. And allow Jesus to do that in other people's life. And and not to give up on people. And and not to lose hope. And not, not to abandon people 
in, in their times of deception, in their times of defeat, to remember that Jesus is capable of accomplishing anything when we allow him to. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.